Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. Out of the ashes of the TARDIS files emerges the Friday Night Movie with me, Lee, and my co-host, a man that used to clean Oswald Cobblepot's pants, Mr. Michael Winks. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you very much. And shall we describe to our listeners uh, what this new podcast is going to entail every week before we move on to the movie franchise we'll be discussing? The movie tonight, we're going to be opening the VHS case. Do you want to do that on the first one, Lee? It's running now. Yes, it's 1989. And it's stuck. Batman. And he hasn't wound it back. Yeah, sorry, the video shop will be charging me for that, won't they? The yes, bastards. and if it, I was the next person after you, I would be cursing you. <laughs> there we are, mate. Yeah, big fans of the VHS era, having grown up in the 80s and 90s. And uh, on this podcast, we will be discussing things like this week, Batman. But it's everything that ever came out on video when you go to the video shop on a Friday night and you pick up the latest blockbuster. We'll mention other films that came later because it'd be a bit hard not to. But overall, it would be everything that you grew up with and you went to the video shop to see. Just had a thought. Should we um, go over what our very first VHS we ever saw was? The fir- I can still remember the first two VHS that I ever rented out was Masters of the Universe, the cartoon and First Blood because this was the 1980s and people didn't give a shit how old you were I think it would have been around 82 or 83 for me my dad was a teacher in a local school and I think he borrowed a video recorder before he had one and um, there used to be a shop in the local area where around the back you could get a hooky copy of uh, E.T. which was doing the rounds in about 20th generation copy and it looked like you were short-sighted watching it even if you were wearing glasses and weren't short-sighted but um, E.T. was my first uh, video memory Funny you should say about E.T. I've only ever met one person that saw E.T. in the cinema at the time everyone else saw that dodgy copy (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll cover that in another well, probably when we do our Spielberg episode. But anyhow, mate, uh, on to this week's, or this time's offering, sorry. Okay. For a Friday night movie, uh, going back to 1989, a character that took 50 years to get to the big screen, didn't it? And you know a bit more about the I background th- and origins I, of it than me, mate. Yeah, I think we should. you should go back to the origins, back to the late 1930s, where National, National Com- Comics had a huge hit with Superman. Enter Bob Kane, who was 25 years old, not long out of art college. He came up with an idea called Batman. It was a man in a onesie, red onesie, with the sort of Da Vinci, da Vinci wings, okay. the famous Da Vinci wings, and a visage mask. It looked little to nothing like the Batman we know today. 
He took it to the writer Bill Finger, who suggested, since Superman was very bright and all about truth, justice, and the American way, why not make it a lot darker? And he has more to do with the Batman we know now than Bob Kane really did, although Bob Kane did pay off a lot of people to keep their contribution silent. Yeah, but it seems from various documentaries and books that have been written over the years that he really did give Bill the finger, didn't he, in terms of uh, oh, the earnings, because Bill Finger died penniless, didn't he? Yes, he'd, um, he'd had no money whatsoever, and it's only in the last ten years has he been recognised for his contribution to Batman, even the 66 show, because Batman really didn't enter the pop culture until the 66 show with Adam West. Yes. Bill Finger wrote some of the episodes, but because nobody knew of his contribution, from the things that I've read and the interviews I've seen, he was quite a meek, quiet man who just happened to be very good at his job so he couldn't even get the recognition for something that he did co-create yeah such a sad story really and the genesis of the movie sort of began in the mid 70s didn't it it sort of accelerated a bit after the success of superman the movie but it took another 11 years to actually get to the big screen after the success of superman that warner brothers next idea was right we've got this batman property it's incredibly successful let's bring it to the big screen. Richard Donner was even asked and considered doing it. The writer of Superman was even brought in to write a script. Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz, thank you. I couldn't, I kept thinking Tom Berkowitz, and I don't even know who that is, (laughs) was asked to write it. And if you go online, you can find his script for Batman, and it's very much like Superman just changed. Every time it says Clark Kent, they change it to Bruce Wayne. And now, yeah, building up to this release... I think I had seen Beetlejuice on video by this point, you know, when the hype really started with what I still think now is a wonderful trailer. It's just so atmospheric in terms of being silent, especially compared to modern trailers we've seen ever since for superhero yeah. films. Did you ever see the original teaser trailer? Now, which one was that? I probably did. The original te- because when Tim Burton cast Michael Keaton, there was such a backlash to it. He was over in this country. Even Warner Brothers got Bob Kane to do the convention circuit and they all the fans just saw him selling out. They needed to build hype for this film. So the trailer was about 30 seconds long. It had no footage. It just had images of Keaton as Batman, the car, Jack Nicholson, some stills, and that was it. And then everyone that complained about this film very quickly shut the fuck up. Because, um, it, but it is still a process because have you seen the behind the scenes documentary on um, the Blu-ray release from about 10 years ago must have been the 20th anniversary yeah. one because Jack Nicholson is on that and he says you know he really got on with the idea of um, Tim Burton really sold it to him he went out to his ranch somewhere and uh, Jack Nicholson said to him right we're going for a ride on horses and Tim Burton says I can't ride he said right you can today mate Yeah. and basically that sold the deal and Jack Nicholson himself at the Oscars the year before just happened to go for a pee and uh, was standing next to one of the biggest producers in Hollywood or journalists you know in the urinal next to him and sort of said um, you know this Batman movie's going to be a, a hell of a ride it's going to be it's going to be the biggest box office hit of all time he was saying that in terms of marketing you know he knew he was Jack Nicholson he had this power and he believes, you know, that helped to set the ball rolling as well. One of the other reasons why they got Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson was always their first choice to be the Joker, but he was sitting on the fence for a long time about whether he was going to do it, whether he wasn't. Robin Williams really wanted to be the Joker. 
And in a way to get Jack Nicholson to sign on, they said that Robin Williams had been cast. And in fact, by the time you get to Batman Forever, he petitioned really hard to be the Riddler. Mm. I don't know about you, I think he would have been an amazing Riddler. Because if you go back and watch that performance that Jim Carrey gives, a lot of that dialogue would work better for someone like Robin Williams. I'm not someone that particularly likes Jim Carrey, and I know we're jumping ahead to the third film, but it just was an over-the-top. It was too over-the-top. When you watch Frank Gorshin in the, in the Batman TV show, he plays it perfectly. He's over-the-top, but just over. And it works so well, whereas I didn't think Jim Carrey did. I'll get on to this later, but I think re-watching it for the first time in a long time last week, Batman Forever... Him and Tommy Lee Jones play off so well against each other. They're two of the better things in the whole film, I think. That's my opinion, but, you know, we'll get there when we get to that one. Yes. And ironically, Tommy Lee Jones hated him, (laughs) which I always find quite amusing. Many did, I think, and he's got a bit of self... Self uh, retrospection, isn't he, in that documentary about him making the Andy Kaufman biopic? Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. But yes, back back to the first Batman. So yes, after, after Superman came out and was successful, they considered so many different people. They considered Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, thought of lots of other people for the Joker. Ray Liotta at one point. I don't know why they never thought of Willem Dafoe who seems to be a lot of people's default. I'd love to see him as the Joker. In that era as well, yeah. Because he's, he's a little bit younger than in the first Spider-Man, isn't he? Yeah. Just heading up to, I was going to move on to the release. You know, we had months yeah. and months of hype, didn't we? The Prince Records, that magnificent still bat symbol, absolutely everywhere. And finally, in the UK, we saw it in August 1989. Um, yes. It always bothered me about the poster that you couldn't see the full bat symbol. Yeah. But apparently that was on purpose. You were supposed to look at it and not quite work out where it was straight away. And the idea was that it was too big to be contained inside what, a poster. Yeah. Which, yeah. And re-watching the Screen Junkies Honest trailer, they said, you know, Michael Keaton ended up being so perfect, his eyebrows even matched the uh, Batman symbol. <laughs> True, mate. Anyway, so if we move on to the movie itself, we get a uh, not an intense opening, but uh, a very memorable one where the camera sort of tracks around to show us that symbol, doesn't it? Yeah. And we get the first tease of uh, Danny Elfman's score. One of the better ones I think he's done in his career. It was an incredible score. During filming, when they said that Prince was going to provide the music, I know it was something Tim Burton didn't want because he thought it would date the movie quite badly, and it really does date the movie quite badly. I listened back to that sort of album or sections of it, and it really doesn't do anything for me no I don't think it did that much for me when I was 12 when I first heard it but no, it doesn't doesn't age very well compared to what we know Prince is capable of yeah or was capable of uh, it is is it is a product of its time it's a very 80s album and not a good 80s album either what can you remember about the hype around Batman I remember being a very nerdy little 12 year old my first year in secondary school in the UK and just uh, devouring movie magazines you know we'd go into the town in Swansea we both live in Wales UK every Saturday and I'd devour movie magazines you know standing in the likes of WH Smith John Menzies any pictures we could get any pictures in Empire I think the TV show where we got the top 10 movies from America used to be shown very early hours of Saturday morning in the UK Nighttime TV, Cinema Attractions. I think I saw the trailer on there. I remember Film 89 we had in the UK that uh, did quite a lot of in-depth stuff on it. This is a definition of a blockbuster. 
I think this was the first film that had this much hype going into it. I mean, I know Jaws was the first blockbuster, Star Wars was huge, then the merchandise that came out afterwards was everywhere, but this, when this film came out, Batman was everywhere. And the effect it had on me, to be honest, I'm quite surprised because it even dwarfed for me two massive sequels that summer, which were Ghostbusters 2 and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Given that my first memories of VHS being recorded off the TV were the Indiana Jones films, was the original Ghostbusters, I'm amazed how hyped I was for Batman. You know, I can remember now I was more hyped for that than either of those two. Well, for me, I don't remember a time that Batman wasn't a part of my life. I still read Batman comics now, and I'm in my mid-40s. Yeah. There was never a time that Batman wasn't around. But I actually don't remember being that hyped for it. I just remember thinking, all right, there's a Batman film coming out. That would be great. I didn't really... I knew who Michael Keaton was because I'd seen Mr. Mom and I'd seen Beetlejuice. But he wasn't really someone that was on my radar, so when the people complained about about his cast, it was like, I don't really care. And anyway, we got this sort of take on it. The opening, the interaction between Michael Keaton and the guy who played Moxie in Avoid His Same Pet. What are you? Have you noticed, though, that the first time that we see Batman, he's a cartoon? Yes, yeah, I did notice that in the rewatch. And even when I watched, when I first saw it in the cinema, my first thought was, you've actually let those people get mugged. Yeah. You could have stepped in and done something, <laughs> but you've let them get mugged. Yeah, and he's a very violent Batman too, isn't he, considering the stick the superheroes get in the modern sort of uh, explosion of the last decade of superhero movies. But yeah, the the opening where you see him, you know, he has the arms raised, you see the cape coming down, that's very iconic. I mean, that, that sums up the film perfectly. The whole Gotham in these movies is a character which you don't get in the later films, in the Nolan films. Or and is it arguably more gothic in these two films than it is in the rest of the franchise? This franchise, I suppose, and then there's more of a mix when we get to the Nolan films, isn't there? One thing about the Nolan, Nolan films which always kind of well I, I'm not a big fan of them anyway but one thing that always bothered me in the Nolan films is when you see Michael Keaton looking over Gotham City you can believe that he is protecting that city when you see Christian Bale standing on the top was it a rooftop looking over Chicago you ain't protecting <laughs> shit you are not protecting that city if you want to protect that city take the suit off and use your yeah. billions to change things it's almost like post 9-11 where everything had to be hyper real in movies didn't it you know like something like Bond Casino Royale had to be more grounded in the real world and he had to look like this iconic character had to look like a normal bloke a pumped up bloke as well as yeah as well as the fantasy of it the mid 2000s really did bring that as you just said about the the gritty realism yeah but there's certain there's certain films where you can't bring realism to it because you just look and go that's ridiculous and we've possibly seen a bit of a return with the Batman trailer we've just had I thought that looked fantastic I thought Robert it is Pattinson isn't it yeah Pattinson yeah Yeah, Pattinson perfect casting he is from a rich background he went to he went to the same school as Kate Middleton so him playing Bruce Wayne isn't going to be that much of a stretch I know everyone goes yeah but he's too skinny that's what personal trainers are for on film sets they will bulk him up before Michael Keaton isn't it the backlash history repeats itself anyway back to 89 yeah back to 89 Um, a good setup of crime and intrigue a bit of a solid staple from the 80s who I still miss we get uh, William Hootkins as Eckhart don't we the the dodgy cop Uh, we get a few characters introduced Um, one who's a mainstay through the four films of the 80s and 90s Pat Hingle Pat Hingle sorry Pat Hingle is the commissioner isn't he yeah 
And we get Mr. Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Yes. He has a bit of a change two films later into Tommy D. Jones, but there we yes. go. In fact, um, Billy D. Williams had to be bought out of his contract because Warners didn't think he was a big enough star to be Two-Face. Yeah, because, I mean, he wasn't in one of the biggest movies of all time, was he? Nah, not at all. Yeah. I had to wait 30 years then for it to come back. Yeah. Talking about the characterization of Bruce Wayne... Very quiet, isn't he? I listened to another podcast on Batman Returns the other day and they mentioned that he spends a heck of a lot of time just watching TV around the mansion. Yeah, I mean, but that's what he would do. He's he's a million, he's a billionaire. He doesn't need to go out and do anything. The guy that plays Alfred is fantastic. Michael Goff. Michael Goff, yes. As soon as you said it, yeah. Ex-husband of Annika Wills from Doctor Who. Really? Polly, yeah. He is still my favourite Batman. The interactions between him and Bruce yeah. are just so perfect. The idea of these ex-special forces nowadays, was that in the comics? No, that wasn't. That's only been so a recent thing. Something that's been introduced because he really is like an old-style butler, isn't he? Um, a few years ago, a trade uh, trade paperback came out, um, sorry, graphic novel, I should say, came out called Earth 2 Batman, and in that, Alfred is ex-special yeah. forces. It loses some of the mystique that of Alfred then, of... I don't really want to know his backstories like that. I just like to think of him as the butler that looks after Bruce Wayne. Although one of the rumours coming up to the Batfleck films was that Timothy Dalton was going to be uh, Alfred. I would I would have liked to have seen that. I think I would have preferred that. I think he would have done a better job. Not because against Jeremy, Jeremy Irons, Irons yeah. yeah. But Michael Goff, <coughs> uh, classically trained actor, of course. Yes. There's a lot of gravitas, doesn't he? Design-wise, you know, we got Anton first on this film. Uh, what do you make of the whole city and in particular the Batcave? It's got more of a sort of minimalist effort to it, isn't it, than the later films, I think? Yeah, it works for the goth- for the gothic look of the... It's always cathedral-based, isn't it, gothic? Yeah. In fact, the cathedral um, scene at the end was something that was added in late in the into, into shooting. Jack Nicholson and John Peters, the producer, had gone to see Phantom of the Opera and thought this would be good, something good to add to, to the movie. So one day Tim Burton comes in and going, oh yeah, we've got we've got a scene where he's in he's in a church. But have you noticed that he actually walks up the stairs, yet he's got a grappling gun that would pull him up and where he uses it not every other time, except at one time where it would be the most useful. Yeah, just for the tension, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. What I like about the Tim Burton Batman film, for me... If you think about it, it's not a Batman origin story. You hit the ground running. He's already Batman. There's no killing of Martha and Thomas Wayne. Until this is actually the end. Yeah. yeah, this is actually a Joker origin story. You find out who he was before, then his character. So that's what I like. They'd flip. He'd flipped it, and it was like, well, actually, this is the origin of the Joker. Obviously, not as good as the joker that came out recently but completely different completely different with the 30 year gap between the course now yeah so jack nicholson what do you make of him overall i think he gives a fantastic performance i think he's a very smart man he apparently jack nicholson was so pleased by his performance that he would watch it on a weekly basis i can see that happening yeah and i also like the prosthetic of the way his mouth looks because it's apparently it's his smile just ever so slightly yeah. too much. And they haven't gone down the route of the death smile, and the corpse smile of more recent films. I think he's absolutely fantastic in the role. Um, he's got a great turn of phrase with a lot of the lines. I'm thinking of the scene with Keaton, you know, where we see Bruce Wayne really standing up for Vicky Vale in front of that fireplace with the poker, goading him on, and he takes a gun out and shoots him and just says, 
Never rub another man's rhubarb. That's that, an awesome line. That that scene in Vic, Vicky Vale's apartment yeah. one is the only time when you see light. Every, yeah, the rest of the movie is in dark, and the scene really just is out of character for the rest of the film. Yeah. But it was only because they wanted to have a scene between Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson together. together. So, yeah. so the, if you take that scene out, it still works. That line is one I've used all my life. Never rub another man's rhubarb. You know, it's awesome <laughs> the way he delivers it. <laughs> do you not like rubbing other men's rhubarb <laughs> one thing about this film I do tend to switch off a bit towards the end I think it gets a little bit too laboured what do you mean the very ending after the they've gone onto the rooftop yeah I've always I've always wondered why didn't they just move over in the helicopter there was plenty of room for them to get in this is like t- Titanic with the board yeah you can get into that I've never liked it this film has done it pretty much most superhero movies do it of killing off the bad guy I've never seen the point of killing off the bad guy because then you can't bring him back or not in a way where you just watch and just think oh really but you know is Jack the kind of guy who's going to come back like Marlon Brando in Superman he was supposed to come back in one of the one of the sequel films it might have been the second or the third one they were supposed to be the rogues gallery and everyone was there and the judge would have been Jack Nicholson as the Joker judging um, Batman so yeah but obviously scripts change directors change just trying to work out earlier on why I felt it was a bit laboured possibly it was a gloomy sort of tone that adds to that you know you're watching so much darkness as we said that one scene in the flat there's the only bit of light really yeah that eventually it's going to sort of drag you down a bit but um, it's not that <coughs> I found it gloomy depressive it's just slightly tiring to watch I found I like those type of films I really enjoyed it However, the film, the first film as a whole, I wasn't overly impressed. It was, it looked nice. Yeah. It, it had great performances. There are some bits in it that make me cringe, but I just thought, it's all right. I wouldn't watch it again. No. Although I have watched it many times since, (laughs) including in the cinema. Yeah, it wasn't until the sequel came out. It wasn't until Batman Returns did I really start to enjoy this franchise. Fair enough, because I think I still did enjoy it, you know, but perhaps I wasn't as hyped, maybe just being that little bit older, 15, by the time Batman Returns came out. But, you know, I enjoyed summer blockbusters then. A movie set at Christmas, isn't it? But it came out in the summer, both in the US and over here as well. 92, was that? Wow, 28 years ago, that time has flown. Scary, isn't it? With the first one over 30 now. I remember being really excited for this coming out when you saw the the posters, the teaser posters, the bat, the cat, the penguin. Yeah. Although the third villain, obviously, is Christopher Walken, is Max Shrek. A character that has, who doesn't appear on the poster, that actually has more screen time than both of the villains combined. That's very true. I noticed on my rewatch last week, and I listened to the excellent Still Any Good uh, podcast, so they go back over movies they watched as kids, and uh, they mention, uh, what if Mike Myers had played <laughs> Max Shrek? <laughs> <laughs> The problem with Batman Returns is, for me, Max Shrek is a... Was he a store owner? Uh, he's basically Trump now, isn't he? You know, he's a... But the problem a, with... A multi-billionaire. That, that character was originally supposed to be Harvey Dent. Yeah. Because if you go back and watch it and see everything they're talking about, like the power plant, why would a, a store owner have anything to do with power in in Gotham but if there isn't a DA that makes a lot more sense and at the end of the movie where 
Catwoman um, uses the thing on him. That was supposed to set up how Harvey Dent became Two Face and right. with all of all of the scarring. But he's kind of set up as the polar opposite, moral wise businessman of Bruce Wayne, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, change of production designer after Anton first decided to uh, try and fly, fly like Batman off a uh, off a multi-story car park. Yes. Uh, uh, due to depression. Uh, yes, someone that Tim Burton just stopped talking to after Batman. He didn't bring him back for Batman Returns. Yeah, I he think just he had issues then, didn't he? So yeah. the sounds of it. Um, if that caused them, or if he had certain issues I think with had, substance abuse. He had, he had issues anyway, but I don't think that helped that no. you know, you'd created. One thing we did skip over on Batman is the car. Of course, iconic. Yes. One of your favourites of the screen ones? One of my favourites of the screen ones, and a very funny story is when they were showing Tim Burton the designs and how the car was going to look and everything like that, and he goes, wow, that's amazing. Where's the door? And they went, <laughs> oh, shit, we haven't put a door in. So that's why the top slides over. Yeah. It's because they forgot to put a door in it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about the opening, considering they've changed production design. Um... The opening, very sort of biblical of uh, the baby's cot going down the river to be taken over, you know. Yeah. Obviously, Mac, no, sorry, Cobblepot's parents have thrown him away for being a freak. Yes. Very very harsh in itself, isn't it? Cobblepot's father being played by Paul Rubens, or Pee-wee. Yeah, before the, um, before the uh, misdemeanor, shall we say. No, I think it was after, wasn't it? Was it? Yes, he'd been a very loyal friend to Tim Burton. He'd helped get him the Batman gig so Tim Burton repaid him by because was he uh, tossing himself off at a cinema like that football commentator in this country since that yes apparently so yes that's not libelous (laughs) isn't he dead now I think he's dead you're alright the football commentator or Rubens no um, no he because he came back in Gotham to play um, Oswald Cobblepot's father so he reprised his role obviously a different um, parent than the one in the Tim Burton films and in terms of scores Danny Elfman has uh, upped his game again in this one hasn't he I, re- I do enjoy this this score I think I prefer I might prefer it more than the Batman one and it gives you that sense of scale even though it's quite an enclosed world isn't it in terms yeah. of Gotham and how the underbelly is so dark it really gives you that scale I think of choral music the first time we, in Batman Returns, the first time we see Bruce Wayne, he's sitting in the chair and, and the light shines in, in through the window. Awesome shot. It is. But what's he, is he, does he just sit there all day and just wait? Like, oh, well, I'll wait here until the light shines through, then I'll get up and do it, do something. Yeah, should I have another wank off? <laughs> <laughs> get the rubber out. <laughs> Alfred, I'm going to the West Wing. Leave me there for about an hour. Oh, Master Bruce, can I watch you? <laughs> That's what he'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, sort of there's an action sequence within this movie within about 15 minutes. Red Triangle Circus Gang. I think they've upped their game in terms of sort of the martial arts and everything, haven't they, between the first two films? Yeah. At this point. We get an early uh, glimpse of Selina Kyle. Yes. We also get the the scene where someone throws Batman the dynamite and he throws it back. Just going to prove that Batman does kill, even though it's inadvertently. Yeah, that's true. He did takes a good few out in this film doesn't he for a character that's not supposed to kill he seems to kill a lot of people yeah. because the, you know that in those car crashes if this was real that's going to have a lot of fatalities yeah the backlash we get now in the internet era for that 
Anyhow, I'm going to talk about her, Michelle Pfeiffer. She was my favourite at this time, uh, as a teenage lad. <laughs> yes, oh, well, of course, she looked fantastic. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, she's a great actress as well, which always helps. Yeah. Um, fantastic scene with her and Walken when uh, Shrek pushes her out the window. I love the way he teases it, like, oh, I'm joking, or am I? And then yeah. pushes her. There was an ex- That scene was originally going to be extend- extended, and the sun chip was supposed to come in. Christopher Walken doesn't know whether he's seen it or not and then basically they have a conversation and then Chip makes it well aware that he has seen it and goes, that doesn't matter, she was nothing Yeah, but she goes in and says oh, I've seen this information Yeah, which she must be thick because she can't work out it's going to be a criminal activity Yeah <laughs> And then of course she uh, gets brought back to life by through being licked by radioactive cats Yes is that uh, yeah. applicable to the comic book? Does it follow the story? No, not at all. What, is she some sort of cat burglar in the yeah, she's uh, just, comic she's just, as well? Just like she is in Gotham, she's just a cat burglar. There's been different cat women. You used to have one in a pink, uh, purple dress and yeah. mask. And then we got uh, Danny DeVito, of course, as the penguin. Bit of a nasal problem he's got there. A lot of green gunk coming out a lot of the time. Yeah, he... For a character that was supposed to be very erudite yeah. um, and very upper class, he's the complete opposite. Yeah. He's channeled a bit of Burgess Meredith's voice, isn't he, I think? Yeah. yeah very but, deep. I mean, the whole black things coming out of his mouth all the time, that was that was Danny DeVito's idea, that he would constantly be you know, dripping from his mouth yeah. and he'd always look disgusting. Because I thought, as the movie went on, he was very prominent... And I thought, actually, at the beginning, Christopher Walken was holding it in a little bit. But I think by the end, he'd more or less bossed a lot of the scenes he was in. I mean, interesting fact, Max Schreck gets his name from the German actor that first played uh, Nosferatu back in the 20s. Okay. His name is Max Schreck. That's why he has that name. Not Mike Myers. (laughs) Not Mike Myers, no. I would like to have seen Mike Myers play Michael Myers (laughs) in the style of Goldmember. For you, Laurie. Yes. <laughs> Schmuck and a pancake. <laughs> Schmuck on this knife. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, Selena's death scene, didn't we? Um, what I did find confusing was how uh, Bruce finds Selena attractive because she looks absolutely bam-pop mental <laughs> when she's come back to life. Yeah, which, which is ironic, considering the person that was supposed to lobby hard to play Catwoman was mental Sean Young Sean Young yes Sean Did Young you get vet, didn't they get within sort of a week or two of filming and something happened uh, no Sean Sean Young was originally supposed to be in the in the first Batman film as Vicky Vale as Vicky Vale she had an accident falling off a horse um, practicing for a scene that never made the movie right. um, so that's why Kim Bastion was brought in at the last minute they were a week away from shooting by the time Batman Returns came out, she felt as though she was owed. So um, she would turn up at meetings at Warner Brothers. Tim Burton even hid underneath his desk at one point <laughs> to get away from her. And there's always the famous the the footage that I've seen when she's on Sally Jesse Raphael. And she comes out and she just comes across as a complete nutcase. But at the time, apparently, she was having a lot of personal issues and it was probably not the best time. She was going to be in Wall Street. Her part was cut down to one scene. 
so yes, there was there was originally supposed to be a different Catwoman. But whenever I hear these sort of stories about actresses being that unlucky, who are obviously quite talented, nowadays I always think, did Weinstein try it on? And then he was the kind of guy. If you rejected him, he would put all sorts of rumours out, wouldn't he, to deflect from his own his, his own perversions? Um, apparently, she was very difficult to work with as well. So that was another reason why they didn't want to bring her in for the sequel. Pretty good. It goes along at a good old pace. Uh, the sequel. Um, I like the setup of Bruce Wayne using uh, Oswald's words against him with the old CD technology yeah. and jamming the signal. That uh, that takes up a lot of uh, screen time, isn't it? That idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one scene that always makes me laugh every time is the scene in the graveyard where Cobblepot walks past the gravestone and it just starts to wobble. Yeah. Because it's just made a set. And they, someone must have seen that and gone, oh, wait, there's a mistake there. Can we cut that out or film that bit again? It's the Cobblepot Wobble. Yes. Try saying that ten times fast. Yeah. There's quite a few good few tender scenes in the dinner party where Bruce and Selena almost realise who they both are. Yeah, they do realise who each other yeah. are in that scene. It's okay for me. Um, I don't really mind it. The pace of this film is very different. This isn't a sequel to Batman. This is another Batman film. Tim Burton never had any interest in making That's very true. a sequel. Sam Hamm, who was the original writer on Batman, his script had more of a sequel feel to it, which he didn't want, which then he was changed. And I did realise that um, when I was thinking of Sean Young nearly being cast for this film, it was one of the Wayans brothers was set to be Robin. Yes, he was. He was fitting out for the suit and everything, wasn't he? Yes. Robin was supposed to appear into every one of these films until he actually appears in Batman Forever. In the first Batman film, he was supposed to be Kiefer Sutherland. They couldn't, halfway through the film, introduce another character. It just wouldn't make sense. No. In this film, his origin was still going to be the same. He was going to be part of the Red Triangle Circus Gang. I can never say that really quickly. But again, it, it it slowed the pace of the film down. All of a sudden, you had this acrobat that was going from one side to the other. Yes. And it wouldn't have worked. How would you fight people that you used to know? And they're obviously going to know who you are if you've just got a visage across your eyes. Very true. Very true, mate. And um, what do you make of the ending? Catwoman, we see, is conflicted right up to the end. There's a bit of a tease. And Bruce Wayne uh, thinks he spots her after she's apparently perished. I like that because it left it open-ended. Yeah. You had that going, is she going to come back? Is she not going to come back? I wouldn't like to have seen her in either of the Schumacher films, as, well, we'll discuss now, because her character was very dark, was very gothic. Yeah. And those films were too bright. Very true, very true. Rated up against each other, which one of the first two would you prefer? From the Burton movies we've got. From the two Burton movies... I still prefer Batman Returns over Batman, but that's nothing taken away from that. It's it's a great film. It's I like it more now as I got older than I did at the time. Jack Nicholson's performance is great. I wish we'd seen more of Jack Napier, just to see the sort of evolution of going from this gangster to Joker. But if that's my only complaint, then on the bit with the bat, the bat plane. I've always thought that was ridiculous when it it looks really cool when it flies up to the moon yeah. and it comes back down. I always thought, who are you doing that for? 
And the differences to the car in Batman Returns? They're very minor. The one in the sequel, the car is slightly lower, I think. Yeah. And Burton certainly uh, likes his crane shots, even with the miniatures, doesn't he, in, yeah. uh, in the sequel? He likes crane shots in all his movies. You've got yeah. them in every single one. with the opening of Batman Forever we've got a new director new Batman we even see Robin turn up what were your thoughts what were your memories of Batman Forever let forward another three years of my teens I was 18 uh, this summer still into the first two movies on the franchise I had them on VHS by this point watched them over and over as we did in those days kids before the internet we had a limited amount of uh, stuff on tape didn't we yeah uh, got to see it in the Odeon in Swansea um, enjoyed it at the time but obviously noticed a hell of a difference even at that age being that it's a hedonistic gay man's uh, direction behind it in terms of Joel Schumacher probably fueled by a bit of cocaine the uh, recently departed Joel Schumacher yes may you rest in peace thank you so much for the Lost Boys um, and for this really you know I still I still enjoyed this film but so totally different from uh, the Burton movies Apparently he watched the Tricks, the Mark Hamill Trickster episodes of the Flash TV show in preparation for this for this film. It's very stylistic. It's very 90s. But with the 66 show thrown in? I think so. I think we see more of the 66 show in Batman and Robin, the fourth one. But certainly it's gone in a very camp direction, hasn't it? You know, um, one of the first things I noticed on rewatch was... Um, some of the outlines of characters and stuff in the shots, bit more sort of anime influenced. Yeah, that I mean, though anime was very big at the time as yeah. well in the mid nineties. This film jumps from Batman Returns to Batman Forever. You've gone from Michael Keaton, who is fantastic in the suit, to Val Kilmer, who comes across as though he's just doing it for a paycheck or. He's doing it because it'll further his career by being Batman. Yeah, because at this point... He seems very self-conscious about being in the suit. Yeah, because, you know, Top Secret was 1984, wasn't it? Real Genius, 85. What had he done then between... Top Gun. Top Gun, yeah. yeah. What had he done between sort of Top Gun, 86, 87 and this? Willow. Willow, yeah, but moving on to the early 90s, wasn't a great deal, so perhaps he wasn't a A-list box office choice at this time, was he? I think he was he was on the rise, but because he was known for being so difficult to work with, I mean, there's a reports that he had screaming used to have screaming matches with Joel Schumacher. He didn't get on with Chris O'Donnell. He made himself unavailable for the sequel. So I think with some with a prima donna like that, it's going to be very difficult to make a film, or at least make a good film, where they're not going to take your input. They're just going to do what they want. But what was the buzz around Hollywood? Is there any reason why we didn't get a, a bigger name star than him, really, at the time? So Michael Keaton turned it down straight, didn't he? He said yes. he hated what Schumacher had done with the script. I think he just liked the way Val Kilmer looked. Maybe yeah. he fancied him, I don't know. Can we say that? Can, can I say that? Of course you, know, you can, yeah. of course you can. Enlightened times. Yeah. 
yeah, I th I think it was just he was a star on the rise. Had Willow been a success? Just known as the one that George Lucas directed outside Star Wars, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was Ron Howard, wasn't it? Oh, Ron Howard, sorry, but produced, yeah. Hmm. So no, looking back, I don't see there was no there was no breakout. Were film. bigger names linked with taking over their role from Keaton? No, I mean they had the the usual. The biggest the biggest thing for Batman Forever was that Robin Williams thought, right, I'm going to have a second chance of being in one of these films. I can be the Riddler. The script is clearly written for, as I said earlier, it's clearly written for Robin Williams. Joel Schumacher's gone. Jim Carrey's popular. Should we get him? Pretty much. I mean, we discussed a little bit earlier on about it. I mean, I feel that him and Tommy Lee Jones work off really well together. And this is a stage of Jim Carrey's career where I did really like him as an actor. You know, I loved Ace Ventura. The amount of quotes you could get out of those two films... And he was definitely an A-lister at the time, Dumb and Dumber, wasn't he? He'd really gone to reach his the he height of his success, yeah. really. He, you know, Dumb and Dumber, you had Ace Ventura, as you said, The Mask, obviously. Of course, yeah. He'd been huge on American TV on, was it on Living, In Living Colour? So, yeah, his star was really on the rise. So having him in this was going to bring in a new audience. It's just a shame that it was so bad. And if you notice in this film... Well, they normally kill off the bad guys. They kill them off in two previous films. The one person, the one villain that knows Bruce Wayne's secret is the one person they keep alive. Yeah, and teases at the end because he's so mad. Yes. But um, one thing for Batman Returns is that it seemed to introduce the idea of multiple villains. Yeah. Which exists to this day. Um, how do you feel it worked in this movie? If they kept it as gothic, as Tim Burton gothic look for it I think yeah. just one villain you could have had Tommy Lee Jones it'd be very dark he is a very dark character anyway the whole dual personality or just have the Riddler in it but because it's over the top because it's camp because it has a throwback to the 66 show which in the mid 90s even though I still watched them because I had them recorded on tape they didn't fit it, it wasn't something that, that would work when you look at something now like they had Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon that came out about 10 years ago, that purposely went for the camp over the top 66. Dietrich Bader as Batman does a fantastic Adam West. Homage to Adam West, I would say, rather than outright an impression of him. Yeah, one thing that goes through these films character-wise is very much the 90s idea of psychoanalyzing. But it's not right in your face, whereas nowadays every single thing a superhero and the origin story does is psychoanalyzed to the nth degree, isn't it? I mean, that was a throwback to the 80s, though. I mean, on Star Trek Next Generation, you had you had a counsellor on the bridge. Yeah. So th this whole idea of psychoanalyzing, everything, had, you know, everything people did, they did for a reason. Whereas I always enjoyed the, the good guys are good, the bad guys are bad. If I want an in-depth psychoanalysis, I'll go and read a book by Freud. And I think, you know, as Chase, Nicole Kidman, you know, adds a lot of class to that. Yeah. She's obviously, you know, she's one of the ones taking this film very seriously. And I think they do all take it seriously enough because we know, we know that Jim Carrey has to be over the top. So does Tommy Lee Jones to a certain extent. He's loving it, isn't he? As these films go on, you do start to start to think was this supposed to be originally supposed to be a different character was her character originally supposed to be Vicky Vale coming back 
I mean, I don't think John Peters was producing it by this point. He he and Kim Bastner had an affair, so she ended a nine-year marriage right. to him. So maybe she was originally supposed to be come back. It seems, this film seems very disjointed. There's no real vision. It doesn't tie it to the previous films. It doesn't seem to be going in a direction yeah. other than over-the-top camp. No, it kept a decent pace. You know, I'm surprised that... Most of these films are dead on two hours, aren't they? I didn't dislike the film by any means. I was entertained by it, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. And speaking of Star Trek, we get a cameo at the end by uh, René Aubergenois in the Arkham Asylum. Yes. As he's showing uh, Chase to uh, the Riddler. Yes. He gives us that little tease. Which never goes anywhere. Very true. And what do you make of the new score? You know, I'd forgotten they, they completely ditched the Elfman score for this movie, didn't they? And Batman and Robin. There was no reason to do that. You didn't need to change the score. The, the scores work perfectly fine, even to this day. That, by many fans, is considered to be Batman's theme. I mean, it gets used in the Justice League movie. And I've heard them both down the years, and I've sort of mistakenly thought that the ones in the Schumacher movies were intertwined in the first no. two movies as well, but they weren't. No. I can't even remember the composer's name. That says a lot, neither can Third I. Third and fourth, no. And what he did sort of afterwards or whatever. How would you say Batman Forever stands up then overall? Overall, yeah, it was enjoyable enough. If you go into this movie really want to analyse it, it, it's bad. It's a bad film. But it's also an entertaining film yeah. as well. I would much prefer it <coughs> to the next entry, to be honest. Yes. Saying that. I have an interesting story about... Um, We've jumped forward now, shall we say, to 1997. I'm 20 years old. You're 22, are you 23? I'm, tw- I'm 20, 1997, yeah, I'm 22. So you see it uh, cinema for the first time? I do see it in the cinema at the first time, but I do not see it on day of release or its initial run. Okay. I saw it on a Saturday in the kids' club, which was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a cinema. Mm-hmm. Not because of the seats, but because of all the parents just staring at me because I'm 22 and I'm <laughs> sitting in a f- kid's film. And you're on your own. And I'm on my own. <laughs> I don't think I took my eyes off the screen. Not because the <laughs> film was great, because I didn't want anyone thinking, no, look, I'm not Jimmy Savile. I'm not Rolf. Look, I'm pure for Batman. Quite frankly, this is so bad. I wish it. I wasn't here. That's your idea of cinema hell, then? Yeah. I think I saw it around about the first week of release, but I'm very proud to say I didn't watch it again till last week, because it's still bloody awful after 23 years now. After we originally planned on doing this, this was the first time I've seen it since being in the cinema. I don't think I've ever seen it on video, on Laserdisc, on DVD, on Blu-ray, until I watched it again the other day. This was painful to watch. One of the first things, uh, the opening scene, we know you like your camp colours, Joel. Why turn them up even brighter? Give us a real sort of Netflix opening. They're, they're too bright. They're trying to unmash this darkness and light together. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's, there's nothing about this. And then we get the sort of, is it a parody scene? Rambo did it 12 years earlier with Batman getting geared up. The montage scene. Yeah. Again, unnecessary. I know when uh, George Clooney talks, if anyone talks to him about this film, he's so embarrassed about it. He's yeah. like, I'm really sorry, do you want your $5 or your $10 back? <laughs> um, which is such a nice thing for someone to do. And people probably do get it off him. <laughs> M- most likely, George Clooney is not the worst thing about this movie. If they hadn't have chosen George Clooney for this film, you can almost guarantee a lot of people would have gone, 
I think George Clooney would have been better in this role. Yeah. He was given an awful script. All of them were. There's nothing about this. They're not yeah. playing for tongue-in-cheek um, for laughs like Adam West and Burt Ward did. They're supposed to be taking this seriously in a world which just looks ridiculous. Arnold Schwarzenegger had just come off major heart surgery going into this film. He was a huge star still by this point, especially the Terminator franchise was still... He, his career was on the decline. He was getting into politics. Yeah, He couldn't save this film. Uma Thurman, fantastic actress... She couldn't save this film. There's nothing good about this film. It's not even good in a bad way. The only thing I'll counter with, I got a bit of interest halfway through when you find out Alfred is ill. Because I thought they showed a sort of depth of concern, whereas everything else in the entire two hours is totally superficial. All the characters... That is one of the few redeeming things about this film. But then it gets better. That's very true, very true. Even some of the guys we've had from the other films, someone as distinguished as Pat Hingle is totally phoning it in in this film. I got in contact with you halfway through saying, I feel like I'm watching something that would have been broadcast on Channel 5 on a Saturday afternoon after Xena. Yeah. Because like none of the major networks in ITV, if it had been a series, would have bothered to purchase it. Because no. it's totally cheap looking. The sets are awful. The sets are worse than the ones in the 60s, budget-wise, by the look of it. I mean, they had Smashing Pumpkins do the theme for it, which I still don't understand why you get people to do a theme. Score score these movies. You don't need guitars. Was it a sort of, yeah, a fad, though, at that time, I'm thinking of? The Mission Impossible theme for the first Tom Cruise movie, they had U2 doing it, didn't they? Yes. What's the one Lost in Space the year after? Oh, yeah. That was quite a famous band, wasn't it? So I think that was more of a sort of fad thing at the time. I think that was probably started by the first Batman movie. Oh, with Prince, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know for Natural Born Killers, which had come out by this point, they had Trent Reznor, whose score was incredible. The music he chose just worked so well. Not sure what Smashing Pumpkins have got to do with Batman. Arnie, we were talking about him. Every single line of his is an ice pun, and it gets tedious very quickly. The guy who plays um, Mr. Freeze in in the animated film, something that we have jumped over because that plays a big part in the in these films as a whole. Because between Returns and Forever, you have the animated series. He plays Mr. Freeze perfectly. When you watch it, and he tears up because he wants to save his wife, he has genuine emotion. Arnold Schwarzenegger in this is just over the top. He's just being Arnold, being yeah. turned up. Not everything has to be a catchphrase. No. Ice to see you. <laughs> Fuck off. Hey, big man, we loved you, yeah. Something about Arnie in the 90s, isn't there? After Terminator yeah. 2, anyway. I kind of like a razor in 96, but even that doesn't hold up that well. I film I've seen once, couldn't tell you what it's about, but I yeah. know I've seen it because it used to sit on my shelf. Of course, we get the uh, the ultimate expression of Bane in this film, don't we? <laughs> that always reminds me of the gimp suit in Pulp Fiction in this movie. <laughs> That guy, that was what—that was one of the few redeeming things about this. He was a massive guy. In the comic, Bane towers over over Batman, yeah. and this guy was huge. And you know, he'd he'd worked out. He had massive arms. I think he had like the, one of the world's biggest arms at the time. Yeah. He's very good. He doesn't say much, which is what you need. But making him a lackey of Poison yeah. Ivy, no, he's a villain in his own right. You should leave him be that character. But is he meant to be more sort of sloth from the Goonies, an evil sloth from the Goonies like, or is he meant to be sort of more Tom Hardy? He's supposed to be more Tom Hardy, closer to Tom Hardy, but with the look of the... 
I wish they'd left him with a Mexican accent like they do in the Arkham games. That was would have just that would have been hysterical because he is <laughs> supposed to be from South, I think South America. Cool. I'd have to check that up so nobody message us and say no, you're wrong. Yeah, I know I might be wrong. One thing I also noticed about Joel Schumacher is he's finally got the budget for a crane in this film. Um, so many high up shots. You missing the crane from the Burton ones, were you? Yeah. <laughs> I think he finally got his hands on it. What always puzzled me about this movie is, didn't anyone stop and think, hang on, isn't this a bit over the top, like the Batman credit card, the people on like ice skates and things like that? Really? You're going to have villains carrying ice skates around? They're not yeah. very practical. Or within this tiny, crappy studio, which looks totally like a studio, whereas even in Forever he managed to make it look semi-real. You're, you're never not aware that you're watching. They're on a set. Yeah. The nipples as well. The nipples on the suit. That's oh, when just he was weird. Geared up, yeah, it's like, that's weird. But even that was sort of parody the Rambo one in Hot Shots, wasn't it? So yeah, it's very passe, I think, by this time, by like '97, wasn't it? Nearly then. Um, in terms of performances, one of the most memorable, very briefly, was John Glover for me, the professor who sets up Ivy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he sort of played it down the middle, not over the top. Whereas you've got Uma there, who plays it totally over the top. And John Glover, who went on to play Lex Luthor's father in Smallville. Quite a lot of cliches I've noticed through these films. Uh, we get yet another person um, falling into liquid. It's a staple, though, isn't it, of, yeah. of science fiction. Terminator falls into liquid, Ripley falls into liquid, and comes back. Yeah. Which is impressive. The joke's about the guys on the desk die, now. Has nobody thought of putting in a rail? Yeah. It was Robot Chicken. All I want is a rail right there. It's not too much to ask. <laughs> I don't understand how Uma Thurman's so awful when you get someone like Michelle Pfeiffer, who's very convincing as Selena Kyle. Different directors, though, wasn't it? Although, how good an actress is Uma Thurman? How would... She's been good. I've always found Uma Thurman quite strange. Sometimes she's in... she is incredible, and then other times she's really bad. Yeah. She's like Ridley Scott, but of actresses. And her daughter's now in uh, Stranger Things. Is she? Her and Ethan Hawke's daughter, yeah, in the third season. Oh, right. Yeah. A show I've never watched. Well, I have watched and I didn't like it. It's all right, you know. Are you looking forward to season four? I can wait for it, you know. <laughs> One of those ones I won't be like the first day binger. They talk about the famed Diamond of Isis. That could uh, come down as a bit dodgy nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Isis that they are talking about was much older so it, yeah it's that's aged about as well as a living daylight so James Bond fights with the Taliban and yeah. Rambo 3 where he's fighting alongside them too yes <laughs> found the set pieces in this movie boring I switched off too soon I think it's because of the limitations of the set again as we've said and you've, you've got less space to sort of direct in you've got to be more creative in that scenario haven't you? you've got to have lower shots I guess yeah. or he does. they do love Dutch angles in these films don't they when they're looking up what's the idea of a Dutch angle to raise tension isn't it or to raise I mean it works in, in to the, give a sense of danger I think it also gives a sense of perspective that is used quite a lot in the original Star Wars movies yeah where you get the perspective almost from a chi child's perspective of what they're watching yeah overall this film uh, very disappointing there was no character development for Robin or for Batgirl you know Alicia's a pretty poor actress really isn't she she's pretty much a she stereotypical valley girl I think yeah, she hasn't really been in anything much since since Not, I know and you think it's 25 years now it's gone like that yeah. hasn't it I mean she was in Clueless and then just sort of yeah. um, disappeared off the, off the face of the earth I mean the only character I really cared about in this when he got into 
trouble was Alfred, really. Yeah. And um, everyone else just seems to phone it in. Bit of a waste of time. Wish they hadn't made this one. They probably should have left it at number three or got the, another director yeah. again. I, I'll agree with you that. This film reminds me a lot of Superman 4, where it's very much of you don't really care, do you? Yeah. You've brought these people in um, to do a job, but you don't really care about what you're doing. And given what we said about movies post 9 11, it did need that gap, didn't it? Batman yeah. did need that gap. But are you happy with everything Nolan's done? Are you happy with Batfleck? Are you happy with Pattinson now? We've spoken briefly about it. As I said at the beginning, I don't particularly like the Nolan movies. I don't think they're bad. They, you know, they're bad movies, or they're too long. The Dark Knight, yes, I know that Heath Ledger gave a fantastic performance, but that film is way too long. By the time, by about the halfway mark, I'm just waiting for it to end. I don't really care. I, the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises was the third one. Yeah, I think so, that yeah. was it. Uh, that was a mishmash of stories I'd read in comic books, and they'd taken the best parts and mashed them all together, and where, fair enough, doesn't work for me. And Batman Begins, although a good origin, uh, a good origin movie, the fight scenes are too close, so yeah. it feels too claustrophobic, and after a while it kind of gets kind of jarring. Yeah, one question I wanted to ask was, Batman, huge hit in 89... Why didn't we see a plethora of superhero movies then? I mean, we had Turtles in 90, there was a Captain America then. Was that only a TV movie? That was a TV movie. Yeah. You had, what else did you, you had the Flash TV show. Yeah. I remember, I think it was on the cover of, I might mean Starlog or one of those magazines, you saw the Flash. Were there sort of rights Next issues in. around Spider-Man? We didn't get a 90s film or? Oh, Spider-Man, they've been trying to get off the ground for a long time. It was originally going to be James Cameron, who was tied to it for a very long time. Yeah. For this type of movie, you needed the right special effects. And then by the time Jurassic Park came around, or they reissued Star Wars, you could see that they, you could do these movies. Superman had shown that you could believe a man could fly, because you were at the you know the end of your seat for the, for the first two at least. Even though I do kind of like the third one. I like Batfleck. I, uh, I know there was backlash going, why don't cast Ben Affleck? He looks perfect as Bruce Wayne. He's brilliant as Batman. And I think if, even though I've just said I don't like them, the when people said that Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker and they were like, you can't catch it, damn cast him. He's too much of a pretty boy. Well, he proves that, no, he can do it. I might internally criticise it or think, is that good casting? I'm quite happy with who they cast now. I like that you've now got a black Commissioner Gordon. Catwoman is black. You, you, you can change the ethnicity of these characters and it worked perfectly fine in the wake of Batman Returns was it? Before yep. Forever the animated series? Yes why was that a success do you think in terms of it took a lot of template from the Burton movies or? that was very different the des- designs of Batman were based on Space Ghost with the whole barrel chested Right. this was the first time where when you watch all of the Batman films, and I I'm not, don't just mean the Tim Burton ones or the Joel Schumacher ones or the Nolan ones, all of them, when they're Bruce Wayne, they use their normal voices. Yeah. When they're Batman, they use a different voice. Yeah. Kevin Conroy is the only person that does a different voice for Bruce Wayne than he does for Batman. Right. It's not his his normal speaking voice. Right. Did you ever watch the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons from the forties? Possibly did. Um, a vague memory of them. Batman animated cartoons 
look a lot like the old Max Fleischer's. Righty-ho. They've got very art, it's very art deco. It's all. It's always as well, very blimp heavy. Yeah. Do you remember the lights would change and you'd see the blimp? You'd see that. Yeah. Yeah. Never see a blimp again in the cartoons, but no. it was always there in every... <laughs> and also, if you notice, in the early episodes when you see the penguin, he looks like the Tim Burton version, but then as they go on, it looks more like the cartoon version. He looks uh, more like, um, you know, an upper-class criminal. One or two between us is the very best of those four movies. You're going to go for the second, are you? I'm going to go. I'm still going to go for the second. It's still the one that I enjoy the most. I'm going to put them on a par one and two. I could watch them probably back to back. I'm disappointed in myself. I haven't gone back to Returns more than I had the original. Um, that's just as good for me. Yeah. The casting is great. Ba- is Batman and Robin going to go into the same bin as the Crystal Skull, the fourth movie, which is so bad? Yeah, we're going to stick those in the bargain bin, I think. Yeah. Well, what's about mm, three ninety nine? I wouldn't pay more than that for them. <sighs> 99p it hasn't got a cover and it's just a videotape next to the pick and mix yeah so overall Batman the the franchise from the late 80s and 90s what would you give her as an overall score out of five out of five well those last two are going to let it down just about a solid four for me I'm going to go for a solid three directly in the middle 3.5 maybe Yeah. yeah because you've got two really good movies two really bad movies Although the third one's not awful, I'd say it's no, it's not awful, but it's not great. It's no. not the one that jumps to mind when you think about these films. Who would you would you like to see Michael Keaton do a third and perhaps a different director for a third from Schumacher? Because Schumacher did Lost Boys, and we both love that movie, don't we? Yeah, I, he also did Falling Down, which was a great movie. Flatliners, I really like Flatliners. Saint Elmo's Fire, very good for a man that started off as a hairdresser. Very true. Or was he set designer? I think he might have been... He started off as a set designer. Yeah, no, he didn't do Starship Troopers. Who did Starship Troopers then? Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, of course, yeah. Mr. Robocop himself, yeah. which we'll do on another episode. Yes. Do you know what we're going to do for our next episode, mate? I know we want to chat back to the future with uh, a friend of ours in France at one point. Yeah. Do you want to go for something a bit more adult? Maybe Terminator? Maybe... But do we do all of these? <laughs> you said adult, then I thought, yeah. whoa, what films were we watching yeah. in the 80s? No, yeah. those, those there's, dodgy ones. There's that Batman 66, which is <laughs> which has been going around for a few years. Flash Gordon or Flesh Gordon. Yes. <laughs> do you want to do Alien? Let's do Alien. Yeah. Alien do- and Aliens. Are we going to do Alien 3? I don't think I've ever seen uh, 4. I don't think I've ever seen Resurrection. From that reaction, yeah. I can... I can I can just you saying, let's not. Actually, when I saw that film in the cinema... And the only reason I didn't walk out was because the woman that was sitting next to me, I didn't know, sat there with her hands over her eyes and just kept staring at the screen like that every so often. And it was so entertaining, I thought I'll stay because she's making me laugh. I thought you were going to say, and the woman sitting next to me was Sigourney Weaver on holiday in Swansea. Well, funny you should say that. (laughs) Let's do Alien then. Alien. We shall see you soon. We shall... uh... Should we bother rewinding Batman? Well, we rewind the first two, but... Nah, they'll do it in the shop. No one else is going to want to hire those ones that are going in the bargain bin. No, that's true. No, we're, we're, we're good, we're good. We'll just take it back. Back, back to Dodgy Dave's uh, VHS Emporium we go. Yes, you better, you better have th- lots of nice things in that suitcase when we come. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so I'm just going to say that again. Yeah. Yeah, we'll return them and we can put, he can put them back in his suitcase. <laughs>